0: Good morning. So glad to be back with you today. And we pick up our study of the life of Daniel from chapter eight. Last time we were together, we studied chapter seven. And you might remember that we looked at chapter seven as like a little bit of an Oreo cookie, that there's hard things on the outsides. But in the center is the truth that Jesus reigns over all his grace will triumph in the end. That good part in the middle is the reign of Christ when He will return and right every wrong and put away every sin and cleanse this world fully and finally. And the way that we make sense of our hard times today is in light of that good part in the middle, when Jesus is going to return. Chapter 8 turns the page. Chapter 8 prepares us for the long journey. Chapter 8 tells us how we live today in light of this long, perhaps, long wait On the Son of Man to come one day. We know it's true that Jesus rules and reigns. We know it's true that He's going to return. But sometimes it sure is difficult to see that in our lives, isn't it? Chapter 8 gives us some signposts in that journey. It's another vision that God gave to Daniel in order to encourage God's people as they were in exile. It's the story of a ram and a goat that got in a fight. The ram had two horns and the goat had only one horn and as goats are sometimes like to do, he charged at the ram and in the collision, the goat's horn broke. And in its place, four more horns grew and, the, and one came to re- displace the four and the last one was more powerful and more destructive than all the other horns. It was so powerful that it defiled the temple of God and destroyed God's people for a time. That's a strange story, isn't it? Are you encouraged yet? I think we need some help. I think we need some help to interpret and understand exactly why God gave this story to Daniel. And I'm so thankful that God sent the archangel Gabriel to tell Daniel and to tell you and me what that story means. And we pick up Gabriel's explanation in verse 20 of Daniel chapter 8. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. And as for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from this nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise." "...his power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even arise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken." but by no human hand. The vision of these evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision where it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to comprehend what you have for us today. This is strong medicine for your people. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us soft hearts molded by the gospel that we may, we may respond to your work by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Taking a car trip with kids can be wonderful, can it? Or not whether it's with your own children or children in your extended family, if you've left the driveway and you're going for any distance, what's the question that's stated and repeated every 12 minutes as far as you're on your journey, you can say it with me. Are we there yet? Right? Everybody knew. I've taken to liking Papa Smurf's answer to that question. Papa Smurf's answer was, not far now. No matter how far the journey was going, no matter how much longer it would be, Papa Smurf always said, not far now. But not far is a matter of perspective, isn't it? The Lord gave Daniel a very troubling vision. So much so that verse 27 tells us it made him sick. He was overcome. He was overwhelmed by what he heard. Why? Because what was laid out for him and laid out for God's people was a stark picture of what seems like evil having its way. Evil having the last word. And Daniel asked, how long? How long, Lord? How much longer is this going to happen? And the Lord gave him a picture. The Lord gave him a vision and the Lord gave him an interpretation to understand the picture. Gabriel tells us in verse 20 that this vision of the ram with two horns is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians and it would come after mighty Babylon had fallen. And remember, Daniel would have seen this with his own eyes. As Nebuchadnezzar was followed by Belshazzar and then Darius and Cyrus. But the rest of that vision was in the future for Daniel. A few hundred years into the future. But the picture he saw was a bad one. It was a hard one. And history tells us that this prophecy that was given to Daniel was then precisely carried out hundreds of years later down to the last detail. The goat, verse 21 says, is the king of Greece. And we recognize in history that that king was Alexander the Great. He conquered the world and yet at the brief age of 33, he was killed and succeeded by four of his generals, which verse 22 says is going to happen. And in following these four came the little horn, verse 23, with a bold face who's intelligent and destructive, and verse 25, laying waste to God's people. And in the vision, Daniel saw this little horn throwing down the stars to the ground, it says in verse 10. Now, where else in the Bible can you remember a vision of stars? Think back to Abraham. Abraham. Well God took him outside and showed him the sky and said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. The stars that are cast down refer to God's people. Or as Gabriel says in verse 24, he calls them the saints. This little horn, this, this evil ruler, seems to have the power to do whatever he wants, killing and destroying and casting down God's people. It's not a good picture that Daniel sees of what's going to come to God's people. And the fulfillment of that little horn spoken of here was a man called Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a ruler of the Syrian, the Silicid Empire from 174 to 165 B.C. His kingdom followed the four generals of Alexander. And this man, Antiochus, was brutal. He was evil. We could say perhaps he was the most evil ruler Israel ever dealt with. And that's saying a lot. After their return from exile, Antiochus persecuted in ways that are detailed in this prophecy. He murdered the high priest in what many commentators believe is this opposition to the prince of hosts in verse 11 and verse 25. He stopped the sacrifices in the temple prophesied in verse 12. He had the scrolls of the scriptures taken from the temple, ripped into shreds, burned, and then cast on the ground in desecration of the Lord's word. He had a pig sacrificed on the altar in the Holy of Holies. And then he had that pig burnt on the offer in a mock burnt offering prophesied in verse 13. Then he had a statue of Zeus installed inside the Holy of Holies. The place where God's presence would dwell. And Antiochus put a statue which was offensive, number one. And he had a statue of Zeus offensive, number two. And he had it placed in the very visible presence of God among His people. It's the desolation that's spoken of in verse 13. He then went on a killing rampage. He killed one out of every ten people in Israel. He forbade circumcision from happening in the land, robbed from them the sign that they belonged by covenant to God. In fact, he was so brutal that if it was found that a little boy had been circumcised in his reign, then he had the little boy's mother crucified in public. He was an evil, evil man. And he sought to destroy God's people and directly attack God Himself. He was evil through and through and down to the minute detail, God told Daniel that this was going to happen. He told him 375 years before it happened, He told him, Daniel, watch out. This is what's coming. Can you see why it made Daniel feel sick? These people have been enslaved for 70 years and their hope has been to go back home, to go back to Jerusalem. But God is saying, Daniel, when you guys get back home, it's going to get worse. It's far worse when you get back home to Jerusalem than you ever experienced here in Babylon. Evil is going to seem to have its day even in my town, my city of Jerusalem. But God also told them in the vision that this evil will come to an end, too. Verse 25 tells us that this little horn, Antiochus, is going to meet his end, but not by human hand. How long, Lord? How long is this going to happen? It was asked, and verse 14 tells us, 2,300 days. Evil would have its run, but the Lord held the countdown clock until it ran out of time. For all His power, all His might, all His destruction... Antiochus, whose name means, by the way, God made manifest. He was the bold-faced one. God made manifest. He came to a humble end. All this man's power and might and intimidation and he died because he fell out of his chariot. And he broke bones. And the wounds began to fester and he grew to stink. Essentially, this brutal man, Antiochus, died by rotting from the inside out. And it was so awful that his soldiers refused even to go near him in the last days of his life. This bold man was cast down not by human hands but by divine hand. Some historians think that the 2300 days refer to the difference in time between when he murdered the high priest to when Antiochus was taken. It was about 2300 days. Prophecy of the Lord. Others make much less over the specific number of the days except for this. There is a number. There is a number known to the Lord. It is firmly in His hand and although it may appear that evil is winning, God has numbered the days of sin and evil and the world is going to come to an end one day and every touch of evil and destruction will be removed. God knows the day. God has the date circled on His calendar when all of this will come to an end. So what are we supposed to make of this zoological drama that God laid out for us? It's 2,600 years since that prophecy was given. What difference does it make to how we live today? It's interesting history, but I tell you, it changes the way we live today. First of all, it changes it by this. God has helped us prepare for our own rough days ahead. That's why He told them, what was going to happen. He wanted to prepare them and prepare us for rough days ahead. Remember when Daniel was given this dream, the interpretation of it was still 375 years in the future. They were already in distress in Babylon. They already were were pained. And here God was pulling back the curtain to say, Daniel, things are going to get worse before they get better. Now, why would God do that? Why would He tell them things are going to get worse? He told them, in order to prepare them for what's ahead. So that when the evil did come, they wouldn't suspect that God had abandoned them. They wouldn't believe that God had fallen asleep at the switch. Sometimes when we're in the middle of suffering, and when we're in the middle of a hard time, it is very difficult to hear God's Word speaking to us, isn't it? Sometimes it's difficult to hear what God has to say when we're in the depths, when we're in the midst of the difficulty. So the Lord spoke these prophecies ahead of time in order to prepare His people that they may understand when the suffering comes, I still rule. I'm still on the throne no matter what you see in the world around you. We might look at our world spinning out of control and wonder ourselves, is God asleep at the switch has he forgotten about us? You might look at your own life and wonder the same thing. God, have you forgotten about me? Are you, are you asleep? The answer Daniel gives is an unequivocal no. He rules over the empires of this world and he rules over the details of our lives too. And we are never out of the reach of his incredible power, his ruling power. And he promises that he's here with us. Even though evil in this world is present, it does not have the final say over you. The Lord does. And He holds you in the palm of His hand. As bad as it appears, as bad as it feels, God still loves and God still rules over the world and over your heart too. But it may not mean immediate relief, does it? God's control may not mean immediate relief. It may not mean that everything's going to get better in the short term, either for Israel or for us. It's a lie of the devil. It's a lie of the devil that's running rampant in the church worldwide that says if we have enough faith, then we can put these problems aside. They won't bother us. If we have enough faith, we can name the problem and claim God's blessing over it and it all goes away. It's not true. It's a lie of the devil that's running rampant in the church It's not true because we live in a world in which we might be bruised and battered and broken. And all the while, all the while evil is casting down the saints, God is still on the throne. And He tells us this so that we might be prepared when our own hard time comes. You all know that I just returned from a study leave trip to Scotland with our Pastor Emeritus Lowell Sykes. The best part of the trip was getting to spend so much time with a man I've come to love so dearly. A distant second was the church history. What a history it is. We visited place after place where men and women were martyred for their faith. For standing upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus crucified. On the truth that is what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus on the cross and in His resurrection, that's what reconciles us to God. Not what we do for Him. And in place after place we saw where these men and women were murdered. They were hanged. Some of them were immolated, being burned for their faith. And they knew that Jesus rules over the empires of men, but they still lost their lives. They knew the truth that Jesus reigns and yet their lives were still taken from them and God had called them to endure in a long faithfulness. To walk with Him without the certainty that their lives would get any better. He called them to walk with Him knowing that He's in control of the details even though their lives would be taken from them. And these men, many of them went joyfully to their death. One of them saying as he was about to be burned at the stake, he said, here, a light of Christ will shine forth that's going to spark a reformation. And indeed it did. Place after place after place, their lives were taken. It didn't get better for them. But God was still on the throne. Now you may feel like you're in that spot right now. You may feel captive in your own Babylon, in your own exile, and your deliverance may not come in the ways that you expect. Jesus' rescue of you when your life is spinning out of control may look like Jesus climbing into your life alongside you, enabling you to endure, enabling you to stand, so much so that as you endure and as you stand, you may be surprised and shocked. At what's going on in your life and how you have strength to bear up under such intense pressure and sin coming in your way. His rescue, maybe to climb in your life with you and give you a promise that there is a light at the end and I will be with you until it comes. Perhaps it isn't the rise of empires or their fall that keeps you up at night. Perhaps for you, You're kept up at night worrying about what the diagnosis is going to reveal. Or, is this treatment really going to work? Or, I wonder how this meeting tomorrow is going to turn out. Or, is there going to be enough money at the end of the month to pay the bills? Or, Lord, I am so tired and worn out and I don't know if I can keep going. Or, Lord, am I still going to have my place when my secret gets out? Or, Lord... It can't possibly get any worse than it is right now, can it? These might be the things that terrorize you. Friends, know that the world that threatens you is no threat to your God who loves you. Remember that the circumstances of your life that have spun out of your control are still firmly under God's control for the one who rules over the empires of history as if they were a stage play. He's committed to you. He's committed to love you and rule over you and bring you home to Himself in His time. Evil might look like it's having its run. Evil might look like it's having its day. But the Lord is still on the throne, ruling and reigning not only over history, but over the details of our lives. And that's what's going to keep us going when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We will fear no evil when we remember that the Lord, the one who is in control, is the same one who is my shepherd. He tells us the truth that we might be prepared when suffering comes to see that He is still our good shepherd. The second use of this truth in Daniel chapter 8 is to expose the work of the one who opposes you. In verses 11 and 12, we see the exposure of what the devil does to attack God's people. We're going to see it in greater detail in chapter 10, but this little horn, Antiochus, is simply part of a cycle that repeats again and again and again. The players change, but the strategies don't. Antiochus is one of the tools in the devil's hands to oppose God's people. And in every era of history, there are those who seek to destroy and cause despair among God's people. Evil is going to remain with us until Jesus returns, but evil never has the last word over our lives. And here in verses 11 and 12, the devil's tactics are exposed. How does he attack us? Well, first we see in verse 11 that he seeks to disrupt our fellowship with God. That's what the devil always loves to do, disrupt our fellowship with God. In verse 11, we see it done by opposing and stopping the sacrifices. The daily sacrifices in the temple were brought to a halt. Now, why does that matter? Because the sacrifices were the part of regular fellowship with God. It was through the sacrifice in the temple that the people knew that their sin was dealt with, that their guilt was washed away. Through the sacrifice, they experienced a robust fellowship with God and knew that His smile was upon them, His favor was upon them. And the devil wants to disrupt that. Can you see why he'd want to do that? Can you see why the devil might want to drive what feels like a wedge between you and God? That's what he always wants to do. He always wants to make you feel cut off from God, especially when you're struggling. The devil always wants to make you believe when you ask, How long, Lord? Are you still with me, Lord? The devil wants you to believe that there's nobody there to answer. The devil wants you to believe that he's forgotten about you. And if he can convince you of that then your life will become consumed with discouragement and despair and you will fall down deeper into a hole knowing that there's no one to rescue you. That's what the devil wants to do to every one of us. Of course, we don't offer sacrifices in the temple any longer because Jesus went to the cross as the full and final sacrifice. And it's through that sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God slain for us, that we have fellowship with God, that we can be assured that we are God's dearly loved children. And the devil hates for you to know that. He hates for your, the suffering in your life to be affected by the truth that you are a dearly loved child of God. He wants nothing more than the church or you to lose your sense of what happened on the cross. That Jesus was punished in our place so that we can be assured of our fellowship with God, be assured of His favor, be assured of His smile so that we would keep our eyes on the cross. Friends, anything, anything that masquerades as fellowship with God without majoring on the cross plays into the devil's hands. Anything. Whether it is you feeling as though You have no real need for the cross because you're really not that bad of a person. It's a little bit of overkill, God. I'm really not that bad. It it seems like it's way too much that you would send your son to the cross for me. I'm a pretty good guy. Taking our eyes off the cross. Or whether it's you feeling like you're so broken and so guilty and so shame-filled that there's no way that this cross could reconcile you to a holy God. Whether it's a denial of the need for the cross or denial of the power of the cross, the devil has his way in your life when you fail to daily grasp the truth of Jesus crucified and resurrected for you. Our fellowship with God, our sense of that fellowship will be sorely pressed if we forget about the cross. So friends, don't let him steal your joy of fellowship with God A God who loves you so passionately and so deeply that He sent His Son for you. Don't let the devil rob you of that daily joy. Because sometimes, you know this, sometimes the suffering is so deep that nothing makes sense. And the only thing that might make sense is the cross. Where God's love was proved God's love that you hope was there was demonstrated for the world to see that He comes after sinners like us. Sometimes the only thing that makes sense is the cross. Keep your eyes on that. The second tool that the devil loves to use is not only to disrupt our fellowship with God, but disrupt our fellowship with one another. Again, in verses 11 and 12, it says the sanctuary was overthrown. That's the the temple. That's the place where not only people met with God, but people met with one another. Again, of course, we don't go to the temple for worship any longer because as the Apostle John tells us and the Apostle Paul tells us, we are the temple. We, as God's people, the body of Christ is the dwelling place of God. And we grow as we experience that fellowship with one another. We grow in true community together before the face of God, living in repentance, living in forgiveness with each other. We are the sanctuary of God for one another right now. We come into His body, we come into His family in order to experience the love and fellowship of God as we experience it with one another. The devil wants to disrupt that. The devil wants to make you believe that God doesn't care about you and neither does God's people care about you. He has all sorts of tools to do that, doesn't He? Whether it's through sowing dissension in the church, people making a secondary concern into something primary. He does it through the disharmony of pride that says, unless you do what I really want you to do, then I'm going to punish you for it. I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to criticize you. I'm going to seek to harm you. He does it through gossip as things that are told to one another that should only be told to god he does it in pride so we think i'm better than other people in the church i'm better than those other folks in rivermont i'm better than those other folks in the city friends wherever there is a lack of humility wherever there is a lack of repentance and confession of our sin to one another wherever there is a deep pride in our religious standing, be assured that the devil is at work. And he's wanting to disrupt the fellowship of the people of God. Can you see his tools? Can you see him at work in your life? Can you see him at work here? Be assured he wants to. Be assured he is on the prowl seeking whom he may devour. But let us, friends, hang on to that fellowship of God That we have in the gospel that we might have true fellowship with one another. Love for one another. Support for one another. Even in the darkest of nights, we have hope. Why? Because verse 25 says that he, that is the devil and his agents, shall be broken. But not by human hands. Breaking the power of evil in your heart comes the same way as God breaks the power of evil in this world. It's not by human hands and it's not by my effort or your effort. It comes through divine power. It comes through Jesus alive and at work in our hearts breaking into those sore places, breaking into those discouraged hearts, hearts that are captured by lusts and by sins, hearts that are tangled in selfishness. Jesus breaks in and He frees us by His cross and His resurrection, that we might know we truly have fellowship with Him and with one another. Evil may appear to be having its day in your life. But Daniel 8 tells us the Lord has the last word. And it's a word of love and a word of life. How long? How long, O Lord? How long must we endure? We don't know the answer to that. But God does. And there's a day circled on His calendar when He shall return. And every day between now and then He holds us in the palm of His hand assuring us of His love and assuring us of His care. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You haven't left us to figure all this out on our own. We thank You that You've given us a clear picture to help us to make sense of our lives, help us to make sense of our world, help us to make sense of the struggle that we feel. And we ask, Lord, that as You've helped us to make sense of it, would You send Your Spirit to our hearts that we would know that You are with us in the midst of it. May we never feel alone or abandoned. May we never have our joy stolen by the devil who wants to disrupt our fellowship with You. But instead, Lord, keep our eyes on the cross, on the Lord Jesus who was slain for us to reconcile us to You and assure us of Your love. Keep our eyes focused there, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.